Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles Mailbag Edition. Carly Kistler-Miller has joined me today, and we are going to talk about well, I don't know. What are we going to talk about? That's right. I brought some questions here, Miles, and we're going to see if you can give us the answers. Well, let's just dive right into okay, it. Okay, let's do it. So, all right, question number one. Why do cutting tools have sharp edges? Why do cutting tools have sharp edges? <laughs> That's a good question. So, why do uh, cutting tools have sharp edges? The edge is actually where the cleavage of the material being cut, the workpiece, takes place. So the tool separates the chip. Remember, we're really making chips, not parts, <laughs> in precision machining. That's right. That's right. I remember that. So, so the tool imparts a force onto the workpiece material in order to get the chip to separate. One way of looking at this is if we look at the mechanical properties of the material, the tensile strength is where the material breaks into two when it's under tension. The yield strength is when it permanently deforms. And so the tool actually moves the steel from its yield strength to its tensile strength when the chip actually separates. I'll believe you because I don't know what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> well, the bottom line is because we have a very sharp edge, we put more force per unit area on that very tiny edge area as opposed to a blunt larger area. So think of it as, you know, force per square millimeter or or inch or whatever. So the sharper the edge, the less the area, but the force remains the same. So greater force per unit area. Okay, I thought that was a simple question, but that has quite a complex answer. I'm impressed. Well, I'm not finished. Oh, excuse me, keep going. I'm not finished. Okay. So if we have a sharp edge, we'll actually cut. If we have a radius, it could rub. And yet many of our tools have to have a bit of a radius on the edge so that we have sufficient strength of the tool material when it's engaged in the workpiece. Okay, so radius becomes an issue? Radius is a factor in tool design as are clearance angles, side and front and back clearance. So. While we think of the sharp edge as what's doing the work on the tool, the fact of the matter is that a tool is a really complex piece of engineering, and that sharp edge is really just the first order of business in getting sufficient force in a small enough area to separate the chip. Wow, okay, see, I did not know that. I'm glad that question was asked. 
You're done now, right? Yes, okay. yes. Okay, We're done now. On to the next and, one. and by the way, John Detterbeck, if you're out there, Kevin Johnson, you're out there. Anybody from Horn, listen, I, this was the fourth grade answer from Miles. I know you people have this down even better than that. <laughs> Good disclaimer. <laughs> okay, I got another one here. Steel. We're, we're talking steel here. Uh, I, I'm comfortable with steel. I, I know. So, steel production is one of the hardest sectors to make green. Can recycling it without making new out of iron ore be part of the solution? Wow. There is so much to unpack in the assumption that the steel sector isn't green. Ooh, okay. Talk to us. Let me ask you a question. Okay. So I happen to know that we use, as humans, we use a million plastic bottles a minute. Whoa. Okay. Actually, that was 2017 data from Forbes. Okay. So recycling of plastic bottles, what do you think the rate of recycling plastic bottles is? Oh, I'd like to think the number's high, but it's probably low. I'll go with 40%. You're only 100% high. It's <laughs> about 20, 23, 24% is the recycling rate on plastic bottles. And of course, it's in the public eye. Right. What do you think the recycling rate is for steel? Oh, I, I don't even have an educated guess. I'll, I'll stick with my 40%. Well, you're only 50% low. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nucor, Nucor is the, the United States' largest producer of steel. And their rate of recycling steel is 76%. Wow. <laughs> in the old days, and I'm from the old days, I'm still here in this present future, but in the old days, we would dig rocks out of the land. We would put them on ore boats. I would catch the lines from the ore boats. I would shovel the spillage, and we'd take that, those rocks, that iron ore, We'd put it in a blast furnace with limestone and coke, which is the cellular residue resulting from the destructive distillation of bituminous coal, not an illegal drug. And we would turn it into wrought iron, uh, into iron, and then that iron would be turned into steel. So we needed a coke plant, a lime plant, blast furnaces, blast furnace utilities, a blast furnace trestle, an ore dock that could capture, you know, two 600-foot freighters at one time and unload them. Nucor builds an electric furnace plant, brings in scrap, builds a continuous caster, and produces hot roll bars. Pretty simple. 76% of Nucor's production was recycled steel. Wow. All right. 76%. That's impressive, especially compared to the plastic bottles that we all know we're supposed to recycle. The last time I looked, Nucor was the country's biggest recycler. The steel industry is our greenest industry. <laughs> Nucor is our example. So there's a flaw in the question. 
There's a flaw in the question, but there's also a flaw in the assumption that green steel, recycled steel, is the answer to our prayers. How's that? Well, as we continue to recycle the steel, certain elements tend to build up in it. These are called residual elements, and they can affect the steel's ability to be processed. So as we use more and more recycled material, and we recycle more and more recycled material, these residual elements can build up, making that particular quality of steel unsuitable for certain applications requiring uh, a lot of ductility or some other, some other characteristics. I could see where that'd be an issue. Yes, I, imagine if you're baking bread and you're going to continuously bake the bread using the same bowls. Oh. And let's say you're Pepperidge Farm, not Nucor. You probably want to start with your fanciest white cracker bread first rather than with the rye or cracked wheat and then move to the white bread. It's kind of the same thing. We have to manage our scrap uh, analysis, segregate our scrap by grade, and there are some applications where, quite frankly, we need, we need to have steel that is uh, virgin production. So it's a quality issue as far as the recycled steel, but then there might be an application for it, just probably not in our industry? So we use a lot of the recycled steel. Uh, recycled steel is suitable for most applications, but some deep drawing, serious cold heading, there, there are just some applications where electric furnace steel from uh, uh, recycled scrap-fed furnaces isn't the optimum solution. But 76% of Nucor's production is recycled steel, and that's pretty green. They're getting it done. They're getting it done. Okay, so I, we've done the steel materials thing. I'm going into the people world now. People? People. So Hey, hold on. Hold on. No, no people. I have a picture on the wall in my office, and what does it say? Remember, you work with humans. That's exactly right. It's a picture of Spock, and it says, remember, you work with humans. Let me have your human question. Okay, you, you just gave me a great segue. What kinds of people do you like to work with, and why? You know, there's really only one kind of person that I like to work with, but you have to understand there's three potential kinds of people that have to be combined to make that person. Okay, you got to explain that. Okay, so I like to work with people that dream big, that have great aspirations, that aren't just making parts, they're making Thunderbirds. Nice. Right? Right. They know what they want to do. And what they want to do is exciting. Okay. Okay, yeah. so yep. I want to yep. work with them, but that's not enough. I, <laughs> dreamers can be some pretty frustrating people if all they do is dream, right? True. Vision without work is hallucination. Oh, I like that. So they need to be able to dream big, but they need more than that. 
Okay, so what's the second thing? Well, as we said, without execution, <laughs> it's just a hallucination. They need to be able to get it done. They need to be hands-on, get it done, see a need, jump right on it. Not wait to be told, just, hey, there's a lid on the floor. I think I'll pick it up. Yeah, so the initiative, the vision, the initiative. Vision and, and do it, right? Mm-hmm. You said there was a third part. Right. Well, vision and initiative is not enough. Okay. I've worked with some pretty stern people that may have had the vision, may have had the initiative, but, you know, nobody invites Eeyore to a party. Mm, I know some Eeyores. You know? Yep. Nobody invites Eeyore. I love to work with people that know how to have fun. They know how to have fun when they're getting it done, and they know how to have fun that aligns with what they're trying to accomplish. So at the intersection of dream big, get it done, and know how to have fun, that's where I hope I am for the people that I work with, and that's sure the address of the people I love to work with. I was going to say, I, I would describe you as all three of those things. So you kind of look for yourself as a, as a mirror, and, and that's somebody you can work with. Well, I don't look at it like that, but the intersection of dream big, get it done, and have fun, you'll find me there. Nice. I hope to find you there, too, doing what it is you do that make the parts that matter in the precision machining industry. Talking to the listeners, because I, I think I fit the bill, but you know. Uh, we have a lo- we have a lot of fun, and we're not going to talk about my golf swing. Oh come on, your golf swing got better. I'm going to get you out on the course. It got better. The only reason it got better was I used only one club, and I used only off the tee, and I did everything as consistently as possible, including putting my heel exactly where your husband did when he addressed the doggone ball. You noticed the details. That's what would make you a good golfer. Well, it's what's made me a pretty good metallurgist and question answerer for our PMPA members. That wraps up today's mailbag edition. Thank you for the questions, and thanks for joining us. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org. Yes, thanks for joining us. If you have a question that you'd like to include in our mailbag edition, please email me at cmiller at pmpa.org. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss one. Well, that would make it easier for our listeners. Speaking of which, if they aren't already taking advantage of PMPA membership, They should check out pmpa.org to see what we have to offer. We have made it easier for our member companies to get through the events of the past three months, whether it was dealing with COVID-19, dealing with governor lockdowns, dealing with payroll protection program, loans, loan payback details, you name it, we've made it easier for our members. Why is PMPA membership important, Carly? Because we're 
Better Together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles. See you Monday, Carly. See you Monday.